John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Yes, good morning. morning. Welcome to King's Cross. Um, Some of you are new with us this morning, so we want to give a special welcome to to, to you guys. Thank you for joining us and worshiping Jesus together this morning. Um, As you can tell, like, there's a lot of things that is just kind of like new, and we've got some kinks just being part of a church plant, right? We got deadlifts coming in through this wall, and about T minus three minutes, we'll hear worship coming through from down the hall from from Stone Creek. Uh, and uh, man, this is this is an exciting time to be a part of this this new and and, and budding church family. Uh, and even though there's a lot of things uh, that we're doing that's new to us, um, what we're doing here like isn't new, right? Like. Christians have been meeting together on Sunday called the Lord's Day, uh, which is what Christians have called Sundays like throughout church history uh, for, for thousands of years. Thousands of years they've been gathering together weekly to, to, to hear the word of God, to enjoy community to get together, uh, to hear the public reading of scripture, which is what, what we just heard and, and experienced, right, through the scripture reading. Uh, and so uh, in many ways, like, we just have this great privilege really, of participating in God's great and sovereign work that he's been doing throughout centuries. Uh, and, and that's why we're gathered here this morning. Uh, and it's not because we want to make sure we dot our T's and cross our I's with all these religiously wrote exercises, um, but because this is uh, what, what we're praying for is worship in spirit and truth, vibrant worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and that's what's been happening for the last couple thousand of years, uh, and that's what we get to take part in this morning. 
So uh, when we sort of like soft launched this church on Easter Sunday, uh, the following week, we, we started this series on the book of Nehemiah, talking about uh, like what God calls us to, about the mission that he calls his people to. Uh, we ended that two weeks ago. And then last week, we kind of did this standalone series, or really standalone sermon, I should say, on community. What is, what is community? What does relationships look like in the church when it's shaped by the gospel, shaped by Jesus? And this morning, we're going to talk about um, what kind of one of our other foundational central beliefs as a church family, and that's that the gospel renews our lives. The gospel renews It changes, it transforms our lives, not just what we do on the outside, but it transforms us from the inside out. See, the gospel is not just about things that we should think, or it's not just even about things that we should do, uh, but it's about the head, the heart, and the hands. You see, one of our most foundation and central beliefs here at King's Cross is really that the gospel changes changes all of the Christian's life. It isn't just what gets you into the kingdom of God. It's the actual foundation of the kingdom of God. See, the gospel is not just the bare minimum of what you need to believe in, at the point you know, that, that, that you're converted. That's what a lot of us who are followers of Jesus treat the gospel as, right? Okay, the gospel is good news. It's good news that I need to believe to be part of the kingdom to be converted. But it's more than what the bare minimum of what we need to believe. It's actually what, what marks the conver- converted Christian life like every moment after. The gospel constantly shapes, constantly transforms, constantly renews us from the inside out. It renews all of life. Holy, radically, it comes into your life to change, to alter, to transform your entire life. And see, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you filled out the, the connect card at some point. It doesn't mean that you walked down the aisle, got on your knees, committed yourself to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you, you prayed some prayer in, to invite Jesus into your heart at, at some point. Like, like that, that's, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not this one point in time, I prayed this prayer, I was converted at this moment, I was convicted of my sin, and, and now I do churchy stuff, right? That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that you... Follow him, right? Like, go figure. Being a follower of Jesus means that you follow him. It's this amazing life, this supernatural life, a miraculous life, a life that's different, a life that's, that's changed. It's this amazing, renewed life that, that you don't get because you worked for it or because you do the right things, but because it's a gift. You receive it. It changes you. It doesn't just come from performing religious exercises. It comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. It comes from encountering him. It's not just just a religion. It's not even just a relationship. It's a relationship that transforms the way that you live. And see, we all long for change, don't we? We all long for renewal. You see, when sin entered this world, which is what Genesis 3 tells us about at the beginning of humanity's story, when sin entered into this world, it stained everything. The effects of sin were pervasive. It stained everything. Sickness, disaster, death, calamities. These are all the result of what theologians call like the fall, right? like when sin entered into the world. And when you and I were born into this sin-stained world, we likewise were born broken. We're born marred by sin too. You see, that's why as we, as we grow, that's why we, as we grow, we grow up to have this increasing uh, awareness of this. Like when we're little children and as we grow up and we get older, we have this increasing awareness of this cosmic reality that, that something's not right. Something's not right. Something's broken in the world. Like we, we sense something's not right inside of us. We look at the world around us. We, we look at what happens between people and between nations and, and disasters and things like that. And we're like, this isn't right. Something's not right. Something's not right with us and something's not right with the world. And we long for change, don't we? We long for renewal. We long for all things to be made new. 
You see, there's one of three ways that people throughout history have always dealt with this, this cosmic longing for change. One is with, through self-improvement, right? Like, hey, if I just improve myself, then, then, then that's something I'll feel right, right? Like, we see this everywhere in television and ads and the internet, like through Pinterest and self-help books, like live your best life now, right? Like if we follow these steps, if you do these things to, to self-actualization, then you'll make yourself more attractive, more, more strong, more healthy, more smart, more rich, right? Self-improvement, that's one of the ways that we've always tried as humanity to, to kind of make terms with the fact that, that things are broken. We'll feel better if we fix ourselves, if we improve ourselves, self-improvement. The second way that we've dealt with this is through self-acceptance. This is actually really pervasive in the modern world, in the day that we live in, right? It's like, okay, if I just look into myself, look into yourself, your emotions, your desires, your intuition, just let them be your ultimate guide, your ultimate source of truth, and your ultimate savior, right? It doesn't matter, like, how, like, what, 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 uh, what the Bible says or what these people say or what, like, it's, it's all about, like, what, what, do I, what do I feel? What do I sense? What is my intuition telling me? Uh, my wife was telling me that this one uh, popular internet personality that, that she, she used to, to, to follow online, like, she, she literally has personified her intuition. And she talks about how she prays to her own intuition. And her intuition, like talking to her intuition, her personal intuition, like it it helps her have peace within, right? Like she's scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to to search within herself her intuition to find self-acceptance, to make sense of the brokenness that she senses, the brokenness that she sees in the world. And you see, some of us might say, like, man, I'm not that crazy, right? Like, I'm not that far off my rocker, but, but, but practically speaking, that's what we do. We have no standard, no arbiter for what is good, right, true, and beautiful in the world other than what does my gut tell me? And I should just accept that. The third way is through self-justification. That's the third way that we've tried to deal with these. Like, we try to justify ourselves. That's all about becoming, uh, you know, self-righteous. We speak, you know, if I, if I, if I justify myself, I, 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 you know, if I shame myself for the bad things I do, if I punish myself for the bad things I do, if I try really hard to be moral, if I try harder, I try vain spiritual reality or vain religious re- devotion, right? Like, that's self-justification. It's all, you're justified based on what you do on who you are, on how you find your own identity. What we see in the scriptures is that none of these work. All of these will leave us wanting. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't in any single one of these. It transcends that. See, Jesus provides a better way, a truer way that transcends our best efforts, our most sincere emotions, even transcends our religious devotion. The gospel alone has the power to transform us, to renew us. And see, that is so foundational for us to get as a church family because it's really easy for us to gather here as a new church to say, like, okay, cool, I'm here because I believe the gospel, but now we're going to move on to to other churchy stuff. Right? And then my Christianity all has to do about this stuff I do over here. When, when we look at the scriptures and we look at the encounter that Jesus has in John 4 with the woman at the well, what we see is like the Christian life is actually tethered to. It's grounded on. It's always attached to the good news of the gospel. Constant renewal through a vibrant relationship of worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. It changes us into who God created us to be. That's what the gospel does. You see, in our passage this morning in John 4 is going to walk us through how this works, how gospel renewal works, how the gospel renews us. And so first, we're going to look at three things. First, the scope of gospel renewal. Secondly, the satisfaction of gospel renewal. And thirdly, the strength for gospel renewal. Let's look at that first one, the scope of gospel renewal. Now, we're going to read the few verses again uh, in just a few seconds and then talk about, like, what's so crazy in these verses. So we're told that Jesus, on his journey, he decided to take a detour through this region called Samaria. 
right? And then look at verse 5. It says, so he came, speaking of Jesus, he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about 12 noon, um, in, in the way we tell time. And verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. We'll stop right there. So we need some background onto what's happening here, right? Like, what is Samaria? What's the significance of this well and the fact that it's noon, right? Like, you see, in Jesus' day, the upper part of the region in the area was called, was what, like, up in the north, that was controlled by the Jews of the day. The upper region was controlled by the Jews. The lower part was also controlled by the Jews. And there was this region in the middle uh, called Samaria that was controlled by the Samaritans. And so, the Jews, they, they, they hated the Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. They were hated back by the Samaritans, too. In fact, they both claimed to have the true religion, and each had their own temple in, in each of their regions. The Jews were in Jerusalem, and the, one, the, you know, uh, the Samaritans had their own temple in, in their region. And so Jesus, who's a Jew, in case you didn't know at the time, he's a Jew, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher with, uh, of the Jews. He decides to go straight through Samaria, rather than avoid it, which is what most other Jews would have done in his day. He was going through Samaria. And in the sweltering heat of the noonday sun, Jesus is sitting in the middle of this open desert area, right by a well. And at that moment, this woman, who we'll soon read, has had like her share of controversy her share of men, right? She's had five different husbands, and the dude she's sleeping with like right now isn't her sixth. And Jesus is striking up a conversation with her, um, like, like com- com- completely um, like scandalizing like every social norm of his day. You see, what's strange about this scene is that um, in that day, like not only did Jews and Samaritans not speak to each other, but culturally... Back then, men and women never spoke in public either. You never spoke in public alone like that, especially a rabbi like Jesus, an adulteress like this woman. And she's by herself at noon, which is the hottest part of the day when no one else went to the water well, which tells us that you know she probably did that on purpose because she was a social outcast. She went to the well when she knew she wouldn't have to encounter anybody else. And yet she goes to the well and she sees Jesus sitting right there and he strikes up a conversation with her. And what we see is that Jesus is not at all concerned about his reputation. He's not concerned about his reputation. We see that he reaches out to her. And there's this profound moment here because Jesus is reaching through every single barrier. Every racial barrier, every social barrier, every moral barrier. And he engages her in this deep conversation about her life. He doesn't care what the social barriers are, the racial barriers, even the moral barriers, the fact that everyone thought she was an untouchable, like, dirty woman, right? Like, Jesus didn't care. He approached her, he pursues her, and she engages her in a deep conversation about the stuff of life. Now, why does he do that? Why does he do that? It's because his life-changing power to renew his life-changing power to transform, the renewing power of the gospel, it's for everyone. It is for every kind of person. There's no person who this invitation, like, there's no type of person that this invitation, like, can't go out to. You see, the gospel, this renewal, isn't something that you can earn. It's something that's given by grace. It's not something that you're owed either because of your privilege, whether it's social, racial, or moral. It's given by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. If anything, it's actually the less privileged who tend to have an advantage in getting into the kingdom. It's not because the less privileged are, are, are better people, but it's because the, the less privileged people that are lower on the ladder rungs um, tend to be the less proud, proudful, right? Proudful? Prideful. <laughs> we don't like to hear that in South Orange County, do we? Like, we don't like to hear that's the less privileged who tend to have an advantage in the kingdom. 
You see, South County is one of the most privileged places to live in the world. In the world. You see, when, when Alyssa and I went out on, on our honeymoon, like we went to some small wine country like Lake Town in Canada, uh, three hours away from, from Vancouver. And um, it's like this small lake town. And we're there, and we're going out to dinner, like, every night, and people are like, you guys aren't from around here. Where are you from? And we're like, oh, we're from South Orange County. And they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, that's where we go when we go on vacation. Like, why are you going to our, like, weird little lake town, right? Everyone's like, you live, you live where? That's where we go when we want to get away. You see, we are an entitled people. And, and, and my generation, I was born in 1983, so I'm kind of, like, on the older end of the millennial generation, like, I regret that I'm a part of the millennial generation, but we're an entitled, uh, like, let's real talk, right? There's some millennials here in this room, and we are an entitled and privileged generation, right? Like, if you're a millennial, you're the worst, right? Like, we are the most self-entitled generation in the most self-entitled county in one of the most privileged nations in the world, and see, what's the only thing that can get in the way of somebody receiving a gift, it's pride. It's pride. You see, like, like the, only, the only thing that can get in the way of you receiving a paycheck is if, like, you don't work, right? But the only, way that can, the only thing that can get in the way of a gift like grace is pride. And yet Jesus says, look, he, he moves past all, all notions of privilege. He moves past racial barriers Moral barriers, social barriers, gender barriers. And he invites the most scandalous woman in town to talk the deep stuff of life so that he can transform her, so that he can make her whole. You see, there by the well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the flesh and blood embodiment of the gospel not just here in John 4, but always. Jesus is always the embodiment of the gospel. And here in John 4, he embodies the scope of the gospel's reach. He doesn't go for a particular social class or race or gender or people of privilege. Like His salvation is offered and available to every kind of person. That is the scope of his gospel renewal. None of us are worthy of it. Yet he extends it to everyone. So we talked about the scope of gospel renewal. Now let's look at the satisfaction of gospel renewal. Pick up with me in verse 7. We read, The woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus is saying here that there is a thirst that only God can satisfy. There is a thirst that only He can satisfy. It's a thirst for living water. You see, the reason that we all thirst for change in ourselves and in the world, the reason that we all thirst for gospel change and renewal in our lives is because we're made for it. We were made for something better. We were made to be made new. You see, the reason we all get thirsty so quickly is because, uh, like, our bodies are made up of, like, mostly water, right? Like, like over 80% of our bodies is, is water. Um, I kind of threw that number out there, so sorry if I, that's, uh, I think that's right. So, over, like, a lot of, a big percentage, right, is, is made out of water. But that's why if you're dehydrated, if your water levels get too low for comfort, then you thirst, that's why that happens, because our, that's why we're so quick to get thirsty when we're apart from water for so long, is because our bodies were made for it. 
How many of you guys have a sports background or like military background, right? Like the one thing that they'll tell you in either one of those contexts is you always got to stay hydrated when you're out there, right? Stay hydrated, stay hydrated. When I was in high school, I was in this thing called the Young Marines, right, which is basically like this youth program, uh, like Boy Scouts kind of, but it was like on steroids, right? Like it was like run by Marines. And after a few years in, like I joined in junior high, and after a few years in, they sent me off to Paris Island on, 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 on the East Coast for staff NCO school. And, then, and I'm getting like yelled at by real drill instructors. And, and the one thing that they told us again and again is you stay hydrated, stay hydrated, fill up your canteen, stay hydrated. And so one day, during the three weeks that I was there, there I'm like 15 years old, and during, during this, uh, this, this two, three-week trip there, and this one day, I, I did not do the one thing that they kept telling me to do. I did not refill my canteen. And so here I am, I'm this scrawny, like, 15-year-old running through the obstacle course that Marines used to run, and you're like, man, that's crazy. You used to be scrawny? But you're like, this... This, this obstacle course that all the Marines used to run, and there's this one obstacle, like you see it in all the movies, right? Like, like in Zootopia, the little bunny tries to, to jump the seven-foot wall, right? There's a seven-foot wall. You're supposed to run at it, and right before you get it, you're supposed to jump up, grab onto it, and like pull yourself over and like drop down the other side. And again, I didn't do the one thing they told me to do. I did not stay hydrated this day. And I passed out as I was running to the wall. And so I flattened on the wall like a pancake, like, just like vertically. And then I fell back horizontally like a bowling pin, right? Uh, it was a humbling moment. Um, and see, like, that, that happened because, again, like, our bodies are made for physical hydration. They were made to be, like, water, satisfied by water, we yearn for it. We're made for it. And, and when, we, when we don't have that, we fall apart. We break down. In the same way, Jesus is saying, our souls were made to be satisfied. Our souls were made to be satisfied. You see, this fundamental human truth, that's what Jesus is enlightening this woman about at the well. Jesus is saying to her, <laughs> he's saying, look, I've got... The one thing that your soul thirsts for. I've got the one thing your soul thirsts for. See, this isn't just the water that your body needs, but it's, it, it satisfies you in your soul. The deepest yearnings of your life. That's why he calls it living water. He's saying it's like when you're parched, when you thirst, it satisfies your soul in that way. Jesus saying, is saying, I provide that living water. He's saying, look, you have no idea what's in front of you right now. She's like, you know, well, why are you asking, asking me for water? She wants to talk about physical water, but Jesus is saying, like, look, you have no idea what's in front of you, water. This living water that I provide, this living water that I have, this living water that I can offer you fulfills the deepest desires of our hearts. And that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so satisfying. Read verse 11 with me. It says, the woman responds to him. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is, is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus here is leading this woman in the conversation to where she truly needs to go. She's been going to the wrong places, right? She's been going to men. She's been going to other stuff. And, and like, she's been drinking from the, from the wrong wells. That's another way we could put it. She's been drinking from the wrong wells. But we can learn so much in this passage. We can learn so much about the patient pursuit of the scandalous grace of Jesus Christ when we study their interaction they have with each other. You see, as the conversation unfolds throughout these verses, we see that, that she just keeps trying to redirect the conversation. She keeps trying to divert him. But Jesus patiently pursues her 
at the level of her deepest longings. He keeps, he keeps bringing her back. You see, she doesn't understand, clearly in this conversation, she doesn't understand yet that there's a deeper spiritual need that she's missing the point on. Verse 15, she says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Give me the water now that you speak of, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, all right, sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here under the hot noonday sun, right? Like, she's still focused on on, on physical water, on actual water. And his response is brilliant. Look at verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come here. It's like, man, she doesn't even want to go there, right? Like, she doesn't want to go down that road. So look at what she says, verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, in their culture and society, the only way that you could be a woman of her age and single is if you were a widow, Right? She's an older woman, like if you were a widow. You can almost see like this benevolent smirk on Jesus' face when he says, you know, I know you don't have a husband. You're sleeping with many men. Right? Like I, I know that you don't have a husband, and you just keep sleeping with man after man after man. And he's getting to the heart issue. He's drilling down, down into her soul, past this outside veneer that she's fronting, right? Into the area of her soul where her deepest longings lie. Again, look at how she responds. She continues to try and divert the conversation. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. She goes, okay, okay, like, so I see you're a prophet, so I've got a question for you, right? She's like, hey, let's, let's, let's talk doctrine, right? Let's talk about theology. You see, some of us, that's kind of our posture, some of us are theologues, right? Like, we, we're lovers of theology. We eat that stuff up, right? We podcast John Piper and R.C. Sproul. We've got extra large nightstands so we can fill, like, Herman Bovink's, like, full volumes on there stacked up. Like, sometimes, sometimes, even, like, religion is nothing more than the thing that we turn to to feel good about ourselves, Right? Like, if we have the right answers, if my theology is more reformed than the next guy's, if my piety is more pronounced and more visible than the next person's, then I'm good to go. Then I feel good about myself. But that's that self-justification that we talked about in the beginning, right? Look, there's nothing wrong with theology, right? Like, if you know me, like, I'm, I'm a theology guy, too. I love theology. Theology is basically studying the things of God. Like, no thing and no person is more worthy of our study, more worthy of our consideration than the Lord God Almighty, right? So I'll always be like a theology nerd, right? Like, our theology is a means by which we can not just know about God, but know Him. You see, theology is a means to an end. It's not just knowing things about God. It's about knowing Him, to truly know Him. That's what Jesus is getting at. You see, there's nothing wrong with piety and religious devotion about, like, you know, she's trying to talk to him about temples. Like, there's nothing wrong with religious devotion. I'm not anti-spiritual disciplines. I'm not anti-piety here, right? But spiritual disciplines are a means, again. They're a means to point us to something greater. They're a means that God uses to grow us in grace, to mature us in faith, and to abide in him truly, So I'm not anti-spiritual disciplines. We should have those in our lives. But they're not the point. You see, Jesus is drilling down to that area in her heart and her soul where her deepest needs and longings live. She keeps trying to divert the conversation. Oh, hey, like, let's talk about this. Oh, hey, let's talk about that water. Hey, let's talk about my thirst. Hey, let's talk about the temple. Let's talk theology, right? Jesus isn't anti any of those things. He's trying to dig down deep to the deepest longings and needs of her soul. She says, hey, prophet, let's talk about this temple issue. And Jesus responds and says, yeah, you know what? There is a temple, but I'm the one that you need. I'm the one that you need. Notice his patience here. See, the gospel isn't just a thing that introduces us to the Christian faith. It's patience. It grows us. It pursues us throughout our life of faith. 
right? It's this constant growth, just as Jesus is patiently walking with her. You see, Jesus drills deeper than just the mind. He drills deeper than our emotions. He drills deeper than our theology and piety. He drills into what our minds need to truly know, what our emotions and passions truly long for, what our theology points toward. He says, go get your husband and come back to me, which sounds rude at first. It's like, dude, she asked you a question, and you're talking about her husband, right? It looks like he's, he's changing the subject. But what he's actually doing is he's bringing her back to the most, more important conversation. He's talking about soul satisfaction. She's trying to talk about her, her thirst, her physical satisfaction. And she's trying to talk about her religious knowledge. And he's trying to bring her back to soul satisfaction. He says, I'm here to give you what you're looking for. I'm here to give you what you're longing for. He's like, look, I'm here to give you what you've been looking for and longing for and searching for in men. Something that cannot be founded, found in, in any created thing, in any created person. If you try to find this soul satisfaction, this change, this renewal in your life that you're longing for, if you try to find this in money, in power, in sex, in relationships, in religion, like you will never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. What Jesus is getting at is that whoever drinks from these wells, whoever drinks from these wells, these wells that they're standing by, will thirst again, he says. If you drink from this well on the ground, you'll thirst again. Not just physical thirst, but, but you'll still walk and continue in your life emotionally thirsty and spiritually thirsty. You see, the thing that we worship the thing that, we, that we, we long for, for her, it was men, right? For some of us, it's social status. For some of us, it's the things that we, we own, right? The stuff that we have. For some of us, it's our religious piety, what other people think about our unique perspective, right? And what he says is that whatever it is that you worship, whatever it is that you're turning to to justify yourself, that thing will eat you alive, that thing will eat you alive. It will leave you wanting. It will leave you thirsty. It will leaving you, leave you yearning unless, unless it's Jesus we're worshiping. Unless it's living water that we're drawing from. You see, no man can satisfy her. That's why she's had six. If you drink from the well of power, from the well of status, from the well of money and riches, from the well of men, women, sexual pleasure, like, you will thirst again. You will thirst again. And that's why Jesus doubles down with her. He says, look, why do you have so many men? Why do you have so many men? You're just going to keep going that way. And so for us, the question is, why do we keep trying to justify ourselves? Why do we keep trying to turn to these things to improve ourselves? Right? Why do we put so much stock in our gut and intuition? Why do you look at so much porn, have so much debt, spend so much time on Instagram or, 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 or Pinterest, spend so much time fronting to try and impress others? He says, you're going to keep going that way. You keep drinking from the wrong wells and they will never satisfy. You will still be thirsty. They might satisfy you temporarily, but you're still going to be thirsty when the effects wear away. See, he's getting to the place that she is really placing her hope. That's what he's trying to reveal. He says, look, I want to talk about where it is that your hope really lies. You see, we search for and we work for hope. Like we try and change things ourselves, to renew things ourselves, to fix our broken selves. And so we'll, we'll shame ourselves, we'll, we'll resolve to control ourselves, we'll do all kinds of things. Uh, but, but what Jesus is saying like, is you're not going down into the heart. You're not going down into the heart. Whatever it is, the thing that you want more than anything else, if you try to be satisfied by that, like you won't. Whoever drinks of these waters will thirst again. You see, his big point, Jesus' big point in this passage is that you need something deeper than your, 
your will or your deeper than your will can take you, deeper than your emotions can take you, deeper than empty Christianity can take you, deeper than whatever it is this morning that your heart loves the most. Jesus Christ says, I'm the only fountain, the only Lord, the only object of affection that won't won't destroy you, that won't leave you desiring, that won't leave you wanting. And if you get me, he says, I'll satisfy you. You'll never thirst again. Satisfaction of gospel renewal. He desires to change her, to remake her, to renew her in a way that satisfies And that leaves us on our third and last point, which is the strength for gospel renewal. Where do we get the strength for this kind of renewal? Where do we get the strength for gospel renewal? You see, here's the final and greatest thing that he leaves this woman with. Again, she's trying to redirect the conversation and talk talk about temples, right? She's like, hey, look, which temple is it? You Jews have your temple in Jerusalem. We've got our temple over here. Which one is it? Verse 21, Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, just so you know, like culturally speaking back then, like that was a term of endearment. It wasn't like woman, right? Like, like it was like woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And so he's saying, look, right now Jerusalem is where you go, but... Soon, not anymore. Verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, some people scandalize this verse to like, like just completely destroy the true meaning of this verse by saying like, what Jesus is saying is that it doesn't matter about place anymore, right? Like, it's not about the temple, but it's like, now you can worship God wherever you want, right? Like, in spirit and truth. Like, you can worship God wherever you want. That's not the point Jesus is getting at. If you read the context, and within it talking about these temples, like, that's not the, what, his point here. Jesus is saying that something is happening here that will make all this temple talk obsolete, Something is about to happen that will make the need for a temple obsolete. (coughs) He says, the hour is coming. You see, everywhere in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses that phrase, the hour, every time in John's Gospel that he uses that phrase, the hour, he's actually talking about the hour of his death. He's talking about the hour of the cross. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, my death is coming. My death is coming, and when I die, when I die, something is going to happen that will just completely destroy your need for temples. It will destroy your need for temples. You see, that's the point Jesus is making. He's not saying, look, you don't have to go to the temple anymore. You can just worship God wherever you want. Like, like in some sense, that's true. But the, the greater point, the actual point being made in this text is he's saying, look, you're not going to need temples anymore because the hour is coming. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm the ultimate temple. I'm the ultimate temple. You're not going to need priests anymore because I'm the ultimate priest. Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus says, you're not going to need sacrifices anymore like in these Old Testament temples because I'm the ultimate sacrifice. That is Jesus' point. That's the point of the gospel. That is the source, really the strength of our gospel renewal. It's in the life of death, resurrection of Jesus on the cross for our sins, rising from triumphant victory so we can live in new life. He lived the life that we could never live. He died a death on a cross in our place that we deserve to die. And he rose from the grave so that those of us who have faith in him, who believe in him, who are joined with him, in union with him, can share in the triumphant victories of that resurrection. You see, that's where we get the strength for gospel renewal, for transformation in our lives. It's not a strength that comes from within. 
It's a strength that comes by his spirit and by his truth. You see, the gospel means good news. It's good news that changes all of life. It's not just what gets you into Christianity. And some people might say, like, you know, the gospel is truly just like living out Christianity, right? But no, gospel means good news. It's something to be proclaimed. It's a message. It's news. It needs to be proclaimed. We're going to proclaim it every single week here. That's what Christians have been doing for the last couple thousand years. We'll always proclaim that. It's not a strength that comes from within. It's a strength that comes by his spirit and by his truth. The strength, the work, all the effort for gospel renewal isn't anything that we can do. It's something that Jesus has done. Nothing that we can do, it's something that Jesus has done, and therefore it's a gift that he offers. That's why we have to receive it. That's why we always proclaim it. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ endured the most unquenchable thirst when he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. He was cut off from the source of all life. He cried out and said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the ultimate, most unquenchable thirst when he endured the wrath of the Father. He took the wrath that we deserve. He thirsted so that we could be quenched. He suffered the righteous torment of God's wrath so that we could taste the quenching living water of the grace of God, of going from an enemy of God to a son of God or daughter of God. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like that should not only create unspeakable joy in your heart, but knowing the cost of that, like you, picture, you get this picture of God's grace on the cross for your sin. When you, when you know that, when you see that, that picture, it'll change where you look for hope. It'll change where you, what wells you drink from. You know what happens to this woman by the well? She gets transformed. She gets renewed. She becomes a daughter of God. She was once a stranger to Jesus, and now she becomes an eternal friend. Now, how do we know that? Because as the chapter goes on, um, you'll see that her heart is so transformed, her thirst is so quenched, that Je- and Jesus changed everything about her so much that she just can't wait to tell everybody about it. She starts telling the whole town, and an entire city gets transformed because of the testimony of this one woman at the well. You see, here's what happens when you're renewed by the gospel. You move from life, from living in death, to living life, truly living life. You move from death to life. Nothing is more incredible than that. Nothing is more beautiful than that. There's nothing more beautiful than having your eyes opened, your heart changed, your life transformed to see the power of God flood into your life, to see the grace of God forgive you, heal you, lift off your burdens and and change you. You see, some of us might think that change should happen just because God says so, right? Like, well, God said we should change. God says we should live in this way, and so, therefore, we should live that way. And, like, on the one hand, like, that's true, right? Like, God is God. He owns us, right? If God says something, he commands something, like, we should do that. And so, on the one hand, that's true. But when we read the scriptures, we actually see it's so much more beautiful than that. When God called Moses and said, hey, look, stop. I don't want you to live in captivity anymore. I want to deliver you. Here are the things that, that, you, need, that you need to do. When he said the same thing to Joshua in the Old Testament, right? He says, look, I'm going to lead you in battle. You're, like, you're going to receive victory. He tells him to do these things, and it could be enough for him just to say, like, look, do these things. I'm your God, so you got to do them. But no, he says, do this, and I will be with you. I will will be with you. I, the God of the armies of heaven, great in power, will be with you. The God who delivered you, great in salvation, will be with you. Also, the God who is thirst-quenching streams of water, I will be with you. You see, he does more than just command us to obey. He obeys in our place, dies a sacrificial death in our place. 
and he woos us to himself. This is what we preach. This is what we stand on every day, every week of our lives as a church. It's important for us to get this as a foundation, right? If we moved on from the gospel and all of a sudden I started preaching to you guys every single week, which is kind of like the popular thing for the last like 20 years to preach you like life tips on how to fix your marriage, how to have better relationships, what does God say about this, what does God say about that, like, like that's, that can be good and helpful and everything, but ultimately we need good news. We need to stand on this. And we'll talk about those other things, but only in light of this. And when we move on from this, then we start to get tired. We start to get disenchanted. We start to get unwooed by the the gospel that brought us in in the first place. But you see, we need to return here. We need this to be our center. We need this to always be tethered to. His love, his character, his goodness, his beauty is the ultimate motivator. It's not that we have to be renewed and do all these things so that we can be renewed. It's that we get to be renewed. We get to live a transformed life by his grace. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like that's your story. That's your story. It's not that you were smart enough to find God. You were smart enough to figure the Jesus thing out. And now look at all the cool like churchy things that you do, right? Like that's not what it's about. It's about God pursuing you, sitting at the well, waiting for you as you were drawing from the wrong well again and again and again. And every time you try to divert the conversation, he brings you back. He pursues you. He gets to the deepest longings, the deepest desires of your soul. If you were a follower of Jesus this morning, that's your story. It's not just chapter one of your Christian narrative. It's the header on top of every single page. We're saved by this gospel. We walk in this gospel. And now, just like the woman did, we'll tell the world about this gospel. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.